Alrighty, surprise, I'm here on a Wednesday. I just kind of uh, saw what time my family was getting in on, uh, well, tomorrow, Wednesday, whenever you're actually listening to this. And I realized, you know what? Uh, I'm going to be in an awkward situation just yelling in a closet uh, at no one in particular with a, a whole large contingent of family members outside the door if I don't do this on Tuesday. So yeah, here I am recording, getting this thing out early so I don't have to uh, have weird conversations with my family about how's the podcast going? What's what's going on? Is everything going all right? Uh, yeah, just just rather, rather not. So here we are on a Wednesday getting this shit knocked out right away. You know what? This works better for getting all the bets out there in the first place because in addition to the four I gave you yesterday, I am giving you another uh, fresh set of five in the old pick pentathlon today. Uh, that's that's way later in this episode, though. Today in the college football episode of Unqualified Analysis, we've got even more upsets in the world of college football all across the land. The cream is rising to the top, as they say. And uh, really, there's a, there's a whole lot of... I mean, whatever. I really back myself into a corner there, trying to figure out what the uh, what the leftover is outside of that. Either way, I digress. Brutal day in Columbia, South Carolina, as well for one uh, University of uh, Tennessee. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second. And a new Heisman frontrunner, maybe not in Vegas' eyes, but certainly in your boys, because I'm nothing if not. Uh, uh, Fickle from week to week. So with that said, whole lot to get into, and I'm trying to keep this one under two hours. That would be a novel concept. Uh, let's first, before we get into the college football, uh, briefly stop off to just let you know what happened on Monday night. The Monday Night Recap. So yeah, like I said, I'm going to keep this one brief because there is no reason to drone on for 20 minutes about this one. The 49ers beat the absolute... Uh, Dog poo-poo out of the Cardinals trying to trying to see how long I can go without cursing. Always try. Always try to get to 10 minutes. Never come even close. So we'll see if it happens now. Help. There it is. Just had, I mean, I'm not sure that that counts as a cuss word. Either way, I digress. Back to the 49ers versus Cardinals. Uh, 49ers were expected to beat the hell out of the cards. And that's pretty much exactly what happened there uh, last night. Well, last night as I'm recording this, you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. Uh, read between those lines. Um, Cardinals, no Kyler Murray on Monday night, uh, starting Colt McCoy going up against a, a superior team top to bottom. I mean, this was the only thing that was going to keep this game close was the field at Estadio Azteca. Oh, by the way, this was in Mexico City, by the way, at Estadio Azteca, uh, a place that I would love to take a sports pilgrimage to one day, one, one day, maybe in the, in the far, far distant future when I have money to do so. Uh, before that though, uh, it's either the field there, which has been hit and miss in the past, not always been uh, ready to play on, if, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, obviously, you just go look at the, the history of this game in the past, and it's, like you said, hit and miss as far as what the field condition is like. So it's either going to be that or just like interdivisional matchup dynamics that we're going to keep this game close. Uh, neither of them ended up being a factor. I mean, the 49ers just look better top to bottom. I mean, final score 38 to 10. Uh, Trump said they weren't sending their best up here. I say the NFL isn't sending their best south of the border, quite frankly. And, uh, you know what? How is that any different from any of the other places they end up setting roots in? I mean, they get you, they got them right away. I think they ended up having that, um, was it the, the Rams versus, um, Chiefs game that, that, that was that, that Monday night game. Was that one in Mexico city? I want to say it was, and that might've been one of the first ones in Mexico city too. 
They always have a banger to start out with. I don't know what the first London game was, but I can almost assure you, you go back and look at it, probably a banger. Uh, first Germany game this year, um, Seahawks and and um, Bucks, absolute banger over there. They probably thought, uh, well, actually, I feel like they tried to fuck them that way uh, because they knew the, the German people were going to show up. But no, they got the best of them all like they deserve over there. Good for them. Um, here at Estadio Azteca, you got that Rams and, and uh, Chiefs game right off the bat. But you just got a, a whole whole plate full of, of dog doo-doo after that. And this is no different. 49ers versus Cardinals. Uh, either way, did not learn a goddamn thing. Uh, there, there goes the uh, the non-cursing streak. About either of these teams, uh, Cardinals stink. They're not going to make the playoffs. 49ers, I mean, they're, they're still very, very good. I mean, they have made the point last week. But probably the most versatile rushing attack that doesn't have like a running quarterback uh, plugged into there. I mean, obviously that's pretty much the farthest thing from what Jimmy Garoppolo is at this point. So, I mean, I think they're going to end up being a playoff team. I think that it's going to be a dogfight down the stretch between them and the Seahawks for like the actual divisional title. That's going to be a dandy to watch down the stretch as far as the divisional race is concerned. But I think both of those teams end up making it into the playoffs. Uh, again, didn't really learn that uh, over Monday night though. So let's, let's just move on to the college football, shall we? Uh, before we get into any of like the week 12 results, let's just take a quick look at the, the Heisman watch just right off the bat because at this point in the season, like I've said before, the Heisman is what we're watching for. It's what we're looking around college football for. If you don't have a dog in the fight at the end uh, or, you know, still got the rivalry re- rivalry week coming up, so there is that. But if you don't have a dog in, in the hunt as far as uh, playoffs are concerned. You just care about the Heisman at this point. So we're getting to that first and foremost. Um, just taking a look at a bit of an update from the list that we had last week. Not really any new additions or changes. No, no one really jumped into the jumped into the the, the the top echelons of the Heisman race after last week. Kind of the same people that were there before, if not just a little bit slimmer field. But first off, uh, just looking at the Week Twelve performances here. C.J. Stroud starting from the top and, and going down, or I don't even, not, not, I can't even say that. I didn't look at the Vegas odds when doing this. I just kind of like uh, went went as I go. Either way, uh, CJ Stroud ended up 18 of 30, 60% through the air, uh, 241 yards, eight yards per attempt, one touchdown, no turnovers to his credit, but that was against Maryland and Talia Tagovailoa, uh, you know, the brother almost said son. That was, that would have been totally incorrect unless they got some weird family dynamics going on. Uh, but yeah, Talia Tagovailoa, uh, brother of Tua Tagovailoa, uh, really outperformed Stroud in this game with the exception of one lost fumble. I mean, he did have that one turnover, but otherwise I think he ended up having like just short of 300 yards, a better completion percentage, had three touchdowns on the day. Yes, CJ Stroud uh, had a much better running game to lean on, but, but still, it, this is not just this is not the first time that's happened, but we'll get to a little bit more of the deeper analysis in just a second. Let me just give you an overview of what the week was for the uh, contestants. Uh, Hendon Hooker, numbers don't even really matter here, and I didn't even look at the numbers. Uh, brutal news for Hooker in Tennessee as they lose to South Carolina. We'll talk about that game here in just a few minutes. And Hooker tears his ACL in the process. More on the team fallout in a bit, but this obviously... Uh, eliminates Hendon Hooker from the Heisman race. Just a brutal, brutal loss. Uh, probably bumps him into probably back half of the first round at best. He's not going to get those. He's not going to get those late season moments to really wow scouts. Uh, not going to get that that opportunity to go out there on a Heisman and, and win a Heisman. Frankly, so I mean, just a brutal break for him. He just lost 
millions of dollars on his first contract right there, unfortunately, in all likelihood. So still probably getting drafted fairly highly, still going to be a millionaire, but I mean, going to have to make up for on the second contract, I suppose. Good luck to him at the, at the next level. I would be shocked if he ends up coming back or gets an, an extra year of eligibility getting hurt as late as he did. Also playing as well as he he has no reason for him to come back at this point. Just, just go on, go on to the pros. Uh, you don't need to stay here any longer. You've done your job shepherding in a new era of Tennessee football. Uh, next up, we got Drake May. He went 16 of 30, 202 yards, uh, 6.7 yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, and one interception. His one saving grace is the fact that most of his competition had a bad weekend as well. None of them as bad as Drake May, mind you, but they all, I mean, most of them outside of like two of these guys that we'll get to in just a second had kind of lackluster weekends to say the least. That loss is what hurts, though. That that loss is going to keep him down. I mean, he needed to get uh, as many wins as he could down the stretch here to get the get the attention of the Heisman voters. Uh, but again, we'll get to more of the implications here in just a second. Up next, we got Blake Corm. He had 108 yards, six yards per attempt, one touchdown. Also, two receptions for 39 yards, showing that he can catch the ball out of the backfield if you ask him to. Is just usually. Donovan Edwards is in there uh, taking up that role, so they don't need him to catch the ball. Just because he doesn't do it doesn't mean he can't, though. That's something that I'm sure scouts love to see in this one, the explosion uh, from catching the ball out of the backfield. Consistency is everything here, though. Corum has now rushed for 100-plus yards in eight straight games going against the meat of Michigan's schedule in the Big Ten. He is the focal point of the offense, and everything runs through him. Uh, with the chaos around him, Corum actually has a path to go take this thing with a massive performance in the Ohio State game and another one in the conference title game, assuming that they beat Ohio State in that massive performance in that game. Uh, moving on, though, Caleb Williams, probably, well, not probably, definitely the best performance of the bunch here. He went 32 of 43, uh, 74, 74.4% completion, excuse me, uh, 470 yards, uh, Add like 30-some rushing yards to get over that 500-yard uh, Mendoza line for total offense. Um, 10.9 yards per attempt, three total touchdowns, two passing, one rushing, and one interception on the day. Probably had the most favorable defensive matchup of all the top contenders with that UCLA defense, and he took full advantage of it. He put up monster Looney Tunes numbers, by far the most impressive performance in the group, and his rankings uh, would, would bump up accordingly. But once again, we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, rounding out the contestants here, uh, the top contestants, that is, Bo Nix uh, had went 25-37, of 67.6% uh, completion percentage, 287 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Not a great performance by Bo Nix standards, but it was a gutsy one to say the least. Um, he couldn't really move. I don't know what his injury was, but it was a significant enough injury to where it completely eliminated any sort of rushing attempts that they were planning on doing. And the rushing, it's not the focal point of his game like it was at Auburn anymore, but it's the it's the thing that makes the rest of, of the things that he does so effortless, pretty much. It's the way he threatens the defense with his legs that makes him able to complete 70-plus percent of his, his passes, uh, get like... 10 yards per attempt every single game, be as efficient as he is, it, it's all predicated off his legs. And because of that injury, he couldn't really move. He, he could only really hang in the pocket and sling it. And to do that when his greatest asset, his legs are just taken away from him, 
it's impressive to me considering what the competition around him did. I think this is not a great performance, but it doesn't drop him a whole lot down the list in my eyes, quite frankly. Uh, let's get into my top five, obviously excluding Hendon Hooker for, once again, obvious reasons there. But starting off, uh, going one to five here, because why not? Uh, Caleb Williams coming in at number one. He was like number six last week. So what a difference a week can make when, when everyone else around you just does not have a good performance. Uh, outside of Blake Corum, you know. Credit where it's due. Blake Corum is a, is a monster over there. But look, he's the only guy that had a monster performance in the group. And he's got a big-time opportunity versus his Notre Dame in rival week uh, with the Pac-12 title game looming right before the final Heisman votes are cast, which is either probably going to be, um, I guess at this point, it's it's either Washington or, or Oregon. Probably going to end up being Oregon. Either way, probably going to be a top 15 matchup. Uh, to me, he has the inside track because both the Notre Dame game and the Pac-12 title game are probably going to be top 15 matchups, like I said. I can see where one could look at C.J. Stroud's upcoming schedule and have similar have a similar thought process, but I think USC just has a better slate to work with, quite frankly. I mean, that Big Ten title game is not nearly uh, what the Pac-12 title game is, quite frankly. Uh, at number two, though, that brings me to, uh, you probably got from context clues there, C.J. Stroud I got here at number two. Vegas still has him as a prohibitive favorite at number one. He's actually minus money now, which is insane considering what what is still left on the schedule. If you're betting C.J. Stroud at minus money, you are uh, you are a fool, a- absolute fool to say the least. Uh, as you may have gathered from that last bit there, though, on the previous uh, analysis of Caleb Williams, excuse me, Stroud comes in at second in my rankings, partly due to the Big Ten title game. Uh, won't be as big of a matchup as the Pac-12. Flat out, quite frankly, I think pretty much whoever they're going to face coming out of the uh, the other division in the in the Big Ten uh, is going to be not ranked. It's going to be a not ranked matchup. Probably going to be a 20-plus point spread if I had to guess. But more than anything, I've just been paying attention to Stroud's play, and he just doesn't seem to play well against quality defenses. Flat out, you just go back and look at the game log here. I mean, he smoked Iowa's defense, but let's be honest, that was a Lamborghini drag race in a 92 Civic right there. The Civic's going to get the job done most of the time. It can do most of what you want it to do. It's not a drag drag racing machine, though, and there's not much it can do against a Lambo. So that just kind of is what it is. You're going to score 50 in that game because you've got a bunch of fast guys against a bunch of slow white dudes that grew up in a cornfield. It, it is what it is. Iowa gets the most out of what they have, but that's just the, the truth of what they got to work with. But against Notre Dame, Penn State, Northwestern, and Maryland, he's averaging 223 yards, just below 64% completion percentage, uh, has four touchdowns and zero interceptions to his credit, but he's not been good against top competition, quite frankly. Four touchdowns in four games for a Heisman contender, that just does not sound like someone who's going to win the damn thing, even though he is a prohibitive favorite like right, right now anyways. And on top of that, He's passed for one TD or less in three of his last four games right now. And I, I get the, the Northwestern game holds a lot of these statistics down just because of the wind and all of that stuff. But, I mean, you got to fight through the adversity, quite frankly. And you can say that Stroud has leaned more on that running game. And, and sure, that might be true. But I also seem to remember a guy by the name of Travis Dye at USC up until last week one of the best running backs in the entire country, consistently getting over 100 yards just about every game. And Caleb Williams still seemed to be cooking dudes on the other side. Crazy, crazy how he can do that. But with with the backfield that that C.J. Stroud has, just just not possible for him to keep putting up numbers when the the backs are having success. 
interesting. Interesting how that all ends up working out. Yes, Caleb Williams has had some early struggles, but just look at what he's done over the past four games versus a comparable level of competition compared to Stroud. Versus Arizona, Cal, Colorado, and UCLA, Caleb Williams is averaging 377 passing yards, uh, 66.5% completion percentage, and he has 14 passing touchdowns with four rushing touchdowns. Oh yeah, by the way, he's a he's a rushing threat too, unlike C.J. Stroud. So that's another notch in, in Caleb Williams' belt over Stroud. That's 18 touchdowns in that span uh, with just two interceptions uh, to boot. Meanwhile, Stroud versus... In his last four games versus Penn State, Northwestern, Indiana, and Maryland is averaging 242 yards through the air, uh, just above 60% completion percentage, just barely even average, and has seven touchdowns, all of them passing with zero interceptions. Once again, to his credit, he does not turn the ball over, which is going to serve him well at the next level. That being said, we I mean, it is nitpicky, but... What is the Heisman vote if not picking nits, my friend? Uh, either way, seven touchdowns versus 18 touchdowns. I can tell you right now. Also, just, just look at every single bit of his numbers there. De- across the board uh, over the last several games, Caleb Williams is just blowing C.J. Stroud out of the water down the stretch of this season. The fact of the matter is, Caleb Williams is just playing better. And truthfully, means more to his team right now than C.J. Stroud, especially with Travis Dye out of there. They need Caleb Williams to be, I mean, the presumptive number one overall pick next year, which is what he is. And, I mean, if you watched him play against UCLA, he, he goddamn looked like it. I'll tell you what, he is a spectacular athlete, a spectacular thrower of the football. He does everything from the weird arm angles and stuff that you see from guys like Patrick Mahomes at the next level. He's got that athletic uh, juice to him, too. I mean, just a special, special player. Ohio State can still win games behind that rushing attack if, for God forbid, somehow C.J. Stroud went down and was out. USC isn't doing anything without Williams right in there right now. I mean, without Travis Dye and without Williams, they would be absolutely nowhere right now. They don't have Dye. The only thing they're, they're falling back on is Williams. I still think that Ohio State could be like a back end of, of the top 25 like ranked sort of team. I do not think that same thing about USC. They got a great defense. Look, I say great. They turn the ball over a hell of a lot. That's not necessarily something you can count on night in, night out, but they lead the entire nation in turnover still from what I understand. So you still got that, but it's just, to me, you're, you're picking nits, but if you are picking nits, objectively, just looking at the two resumes, Caleb Williams has the edge in my mind over C.J. Stroud. Uh, at number three, still got Bo Nix sitting in there. Uh, I think I had him at number one last week. Said, I mean, gotta gotta drop him down, quite frankly, uh, with with the way that Caleb Williams performed. But still, don't want to drop him or punish him too much. I will be less long winded here because this one is a little bit more straightforward. You could maybe side. Uh, slide Blake Corum in here at three, but I think a gutsy performance in the face of a, of major injury adversity to where he couldn't really move was as impressive as what we saw from Corum, quite frankly. And he's got the Civil War game this week versus Oregon State. If, if he can move around a little better and be a threat with his legs, he should be able to put up some numbers there. Uh, then... If they win that that one, Oregon's in the title game versus probably USC. I mean, a lot of turnovers for USC, so you got to watch that against them. But it's a defense that's right for the taking. Just look at what Dorian Thompson-Robinson just did to him. Look at uh, what Cam Rising did to him earlier in this season. They can be had for damn sure. Uh, as much as Corum has the opportunity to go out there and take this award, 
it's the same sort of schedule logic I, I used to uh, used with Williams and Stroud. The Pac-12 title game is just going to be better competition in the Big Ten game versus Iowa, Purdue, Illinois. Whoever you slot in there, they're not going to be ranked, and the line is going to be 20-plus in favor of whoever whoever wins the Ohio State and Michigan game, pretty much. And that is a, that is a damn fact that's going to be backed up by Vegas in the long run. You can, you can guarantee that. Uh, Blake Corum coming in at number four. I've got Corum at four because, well, unfortunately, this is a QB award, quite frankly. Call a spade a spade. So unless he goes full Hassan Haskins, gets like nine touchdowns in the OSU game and 10 in the Big, ti- Big Ten title game or not. <laughs> not nine in the OSU game. Nine combined between the OSU game and the Big Ten title game. Wow, I just confused the hell out of myself with that uh, that phrasing there. But I, I digress. Uh, he is still playing the underdog role uh, coming from the outside looking in, though, because that's that's a tall order. He could he can still do it, and he could still maybe become a, a Heisman finalist. I think he's he's very likely to, to be there if he has a big performance against Ohio State. Um just just coming from the outside, though. It's a quarterback rule. Quarterback award, rather. Uh, which brings up a very interesting point. The Ohio State-Michigan game this year is not only a battle for a playoff spot and a Big Ten title game berth. It's a battle between Corum and Stroud to keep their Heisman dreams alive. So, so, so much riding on this game. The fact that it's it's at noon on Saturday is still bullshit to me. That's night game vibes all the way. Late fall... Nighttime cold in Ohio, be damned. The fans deserve this to be played under the lights, outside, at night. Also, this means I definitely have to skip uh, the afternoon at my day job. So, fuck my wallet, I suppose. Not a euphemism. Just a statement on my lack of money I'll be earning in the afternoon on Saturday. But hey, if I gotta skip work, I guess I... I if you're gonna twist my arm, I guess I'll skip work, work and uh, watch college football. If you're gonna twist my arm, okay. Uh... Getting down to number five, Drake May. Well, it was a good run, buddy. Uh, and he's still got a couple solid opportunities ahead of him uh, for the sake of getting the attention of the absolute casuals who have the votes for the Heisman, though. UNC really, really needed to win on Saturday versus Georgia Tech. And not only that, Drake May needed to have a big-time outing, but probably had the worst outing of the top five this past week. Uh, the only one who had it worse than him of the big contenders was Hendon Hooker, and Hendon Hooker tore his ACL. So there's not really any way to get a whole lot worse than that without completely shattering your legs. So I guess that that's the bright side. He didn't, you didn't break anything. He didn't tear anything. But outside of that, it was not a good performance from Drake May. I'm not saying the Heisman hopes are dead, but they're definitely on life support uh, in a medically induced coma at the moment. And, uh, any moment they could die on us. It's it's who's to say it's a race against time to to resuscitate, but racing against the odds too, my friend. Uh, with that said, uh, get through the top five once again, just so y'all know. Got Caleb Williams at one, C.J. Stroud at two, Bo Nix at three, Blake Corum at four, Drake May down there at five right now. But with that, uh, we've already been talking for a while now. Let's get into the, uh, the the rest of the college football, the actual games, if you will. It is college football week 12. College football week 12. And of course, we gotta we gotta stop to uh, take a second to say rest in peace to a contender. Uh, Tennessee 
traveled to Columbia, South Carolina. They were looking to just get a tune-up game. They were looking to maybe get some competition, just keep it fresh, keep it froggy before uh, rivalry week. And what did they get instead? Well, South Carolina hung 60 on them, and their quarterback tore their tore his ACL. Their, their Heisman finalist quarterback tore his ACL. Just a brutal, brutal day of football for the Tennessee Volunteers. They ended up losing 63-38. to Lost their star quarterback. Ultimately lost their chance at a playoff spot. Just a brutal, brutal weekend for that team. And I feel for the Volunteers right now. There's not a guarantee that they're going to get back here. I think they're going to have... More talented teams in the future. There's not a guarantee they're going to get back here, though. So, I mean, this is one that you wanted to have. Um, that being said, I mean, performer of the game, though, it's got to be Spencer Rattler. He kind of he kind of showed y'all why he was a five-star coming out of high school, even though I would not touch him with a 10-foot pole uh, on draft day. I'll tell you that much. He can fool somebody else. He won't be fooling me. I'll tell you that much. Uh, he had a great game, though. He went 30 of 37, 438 yards, just short of 12 yards per attempt, and six, count them, six touchdowns on the day. I mean, what a performance. Uh, Tennessee... I don't know if they stopped, uh, actually, no, they, they stopped South Carolina once all game. Every single other drive was a touchdown outside of the uh, the, the drive coming out of halftime for South Carolina. Volunteers got a big stop coming out of halftime, but otherwise touchdowns every single other time. Nine of them just absolutely tattooed that Tennessee defense that had been playing better here recently, but just fell apart in a, in a big time way. And uh, th this is what happens when you're pocket watching, talking about how you got a better resume than TCU. You should be in the top five. Buddy, the rankings don't matter until Selection Sunday. You just keep your eyes on your own work. They couldn't do that. And as a result, they got got here against South Carolina. I mean, this is probably more points than Shane Beamer's team has scored in like four weeks, quite frankly. I mean, it was, they've, they've struggled scoring points all year. I guess nothing like a like a date against the Tennessee defense right now to to rectify that situation, but just not a not a good day for Tennessee. I mean, I would I would venture to say it was a terrible day for Tennessee. I mean, your season it's not over, but I mean, pretty much over. Which takes me to my big takeaway from this game: Tennessee's title hopes are finished, and and now they'll still probably be facing a ranked opponent with Joe Milton at the helm in, in the bowl game. Not an ideal situation for you right there. I mean, Joe Milton's got a strong ass arm, and he shows it. Every single throw. He reminds me a whole lot of uh, Nick Fitzgerald with, with less running ability, quite frankly. Uh, at least Nick Fitzgerald could run like a motherfucker, run like a goddamn deer in... Well, not a deer in the headlights. Those guys freeze. But, but a deer that's being chased by a predator. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. That, that is simply not the case for Joe Milton. And he still has that, that shotgun thing where he has one ball, throw it hard, throw a line drive. That, that's pretty much his only ball fade, deep ball, across the middle, slant, all of them, I'm just rifling this thing 100 miles an hour, and you're either going to catch it or all of your fingers are going to be broken. That, that's the main thing. You're going into a bowl game with that. Not an ideal situation. Not a great recipe for success to finish out the season, quite frankly. Super, super sad to see how, see how this has all turned out after such a promising season. Just two to three weeks ago, it looked like. I mean, it looked like they were going to be a playoff team Almost a shoo-in for the playoffs a couple weeks ago, and then they lose to UGA. Uh, they stumble here this week, and it's just it's over. Hell, just last week even thought they were a, a playoff team. They were number five going into this game, and just like that, you, you lose the star of the team. Um, 
you you get blown out on the defensive side and it's it's just over. That's that's just how quick things turn late in the season, man. I mean, it's just you had it right there and then just in the course of one afternoon, it's all gone. I mean, just a brutal brutal weekend for uh, the University of Tennessee. Uh, more success to him in the future, though. I think Josh Heupel has got the, the program moving very much in the right direction. Uh, moving jarringly across three time zones over to the Pac-12 in, I mean, quite frankly, the, the banger of the weekend. I mean, no not no question about it. I, I think I put out a, a tweet earlier in the day just kind of looking at the slate, and quite frankly, just put a blunt into everybody out there I didn't give a damn about anything outside of the Pac-12, and I was vindicated by what we saw. I think the Pac-12 was pretty much the only, like, consistently good games anywhere in all of college football. I mean, it had some some offense, some defense in there. I mean, the late night in the Pac-12 was just juicy and scintillating, I will tell you what. This game turned out to be every bit as thrilling as I built it here last week. The over hit with plenty of time to spare, and they just kept on scoring absolutely vintage matchup in the Pac-12 late in the season. Not a bit of defense being played. Just two great QBs having a slugfest until the very, very end of the game. This one was, I mean, an instant classic. Uh, Maybe two NFL guys. I know at the very least, Caleb Williams is getting drafted in the top five. If I had a first-round pick in this year's draft, I'm still taking Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the first round, quite frankly. He might be a late first-round pick, but I'm I'm taking a flyer on the guy. I, I like what he's got. I like his athletic build. I think he can fit what you want as far as a, as far as a modern NFL quarterback um, with the mobility, the the availability to run, the speed, uh, the athleticism, while also having the arm that can threaten the defense. He's been very efficient through the air. He's been very good on the ground. I think both Dorian Thompson Robinson and Caleb Williams are, are NFL guys, but hey, Dorian Thompson Robinson talked about him. Still got some growth to go a lot more than Caleb Williams has, quite frankly. He sealed the game for USC on his third interception of the game, and the Trojans barely escaped with a win, 48 to 45. But that does not take away from just how fantastic he was in this one. I mean, wasn't quite as good as Caleb Williams, the 470-yard performance we talked about earlier, but. Over 300 yards, 309 yards, 8.1 yards per attempt, uh, six total touchdowns, four through the air, two on the ground. He had those three interceptions and did lose a fumble, so four turnovers on the day, simply not going to cut it. And I mean, even with that, though, only lost by three. So I mean, he was he was right in there until the very end. It was a spectacular performance from Dorian Thompson-Robinson. And sometimes you're going to go up against a defense like USC that can just force turnovers. It is what it is. Uh, you'd like to have a few, or most, if not all, of those back. But you know what? It's all water under the bridge at this point. You can't control it now. Uh, outside of those guys, though, Zach Charbonnet had himself a solid day, just short of uh, 100 yards rushing. He had five yards per attempt as well. Got over the 100-yard the uh, Mendoza line with his receiving yards, though, as far as uh, from scrimmage yards. So he had 120 yards from scrimmage, uh, give or take. Uh, didn't get that elusive touchdown, so unfortunate for him. Hey, Michael Ezekiel, though, uh, for, for UCLA, he had three touchdowns on four catches. Efficient, to say the least. Um, some more notable performers on the USC side. Oh, Austin Jones coming in 
in in relief of Travis Dye. Like I said before, he tore his, his ACL last week, I believe. Uh, Austin Jones comes in, plays fantastically, to say the least. Had 120 yards, 5.7 yards per carry. Um, also, two touchdowns on the ground. Also, four receptions, 57 yards through the air. So, 177 yards from scrimmage. Absolutely playing fantastically in place of Travis Dye there. Uh, didn't seem to miss a beat in the run game as far as that's concerned. Um, on the outside, though, Jordan Addison, I mean, just had himself a night. 11 receptions, 178 yards, one touchdown. Big-time players put up big-time performances in big-time games or whatever uh, version of that statement you want to use to uh, just express what the situation is. That's exactly what we got in Jordan Addison. There's a reason he won the Bolitnikoff last year. There's a reason why Lincoln Riley wanted him so bad out of pit uh, coming off of that year he had last year with Kenny Pickett. With that said, though, my takeaway from this one, USC's destiny lies right there in the palm of their hands right now. They've got two straight top 15 games to finish the year, like I laid out in the Heisman uh, summary there. They win both of those games, and it's going to take an egregious act of bias to keep them out of the dance, quite frankly. They will be in if they get through this uh, this next stretch unscathed. I mean, who, who would take their place, quite frankly? Tennessee lost, and they lost Hendon Hooker, so they're not going... Uh, maybe maybe the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, but one loss conference champ versus one loss non-conference champ seems like a pretty easy uh, one to pick between for me. It's going to be the Trojans. Uh, if, if TCU loses, that could get interesting at that number four spot. I think even so, though, if TCU loses and it's one loss USC as a Pac-12 champion uh, versus one lost TCU who either lost it in the last game of the season or lost it in the Big 12 title game. Either way, well, let's just assume they lost it in the last game of the season. Okay, so they go into the Big 12 title game. They still win. They're the Big 12 champion. All right, still going up against a one-loss USC team. I still think USC has a better resume because they've been more dominant this season. Also, let's just call a spade a spade. If, if the committee has to choose between USC and TCU, sorry, TCU, they're going with the box office draw, and they're just going to justify it in whatever plausible ways they can. But if it's between USC and TCU, I think they're going with with, with USC, quite frankly. And uh, if TCU goes down there at number four, all bets are off. If, if Ohio State loses that game versus Michigan, I think we could very easily see if you know, if TCU stumbles in one of these games and it's a one-loss TCU team, whether they're a conference champion or not, uh, compared to a one-loss Ohio State team for that last spot in the playoff, who's to say what happens there? I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to put Ohio State in over TCU, but you can look at those resumes and go down the list and say... Look, they both have one loss, and Ohio State has simply looked more dominant at times and has a better team top to bottom. So I would not be shocked at all if they put in Ohio State over uh, TCU. TCU's got to win out in order to get to the dance, quite frankly. Um, Speaking of the devil, going over to the Big 12, let's move on down the list here. TCU versus Baylor. And uh, speaking of sneaking away with a win here, that is exactly what TCU did. TCU tried their damnedest to lose this one as they have time and again during this this improbable run that they've been on without a loss yet this season. TCU had the lead going into the fourth, but two quick touchdowns from Baylor 
all of a sudden saw TCU trailing by eight as late as just about 2.30 left in the game. Uh, but in patented cardiac frogs fashion, the Hypnotoad got playing. Max Duggan came alive and shit started popping off. Max Duggan threw a touchdown with just over two minutes left. The defense forced a punt on the ensuing possession. And somehow, some way. Max Duggan does it again, getting TCU in field goal range. Then with 17 seconds left, a running clock, TCU runs the field goal unit on the field, sets up and snaps before time expires. Griffin Kell hits the game-winning field goal from 40 yards out. Zeros on the clock, game over. That final sequence is such a testament to how well Sonny Dykes has coached this team I cannot, I cannot fathom, I can't stress to you out there who have never tried or like seen this happen in action before, but it is incredible that he was able to get this done, or he wasn't on the field, hell, it's incredible that the team was able to get this done, that they were this disciplined in order to go out and do this, that's an NFL level of discipline right there to pull that off, make no mistake, and that's their jobs at the NFL level, these are still... So nominally students, even if they never go to class and have people do their schoolwork for them. Um, to pull that maneuver off in just 17 seconds before time expired, that's such a, such a disciplined maneuver. And he did it with a bunch of teenagers and early 20-somethings. That's the biggest thing. He got them in line enough to, to, to pull off that maneuver. He got them disciplined enough to pull off that maneuver in that amount of time with no hiccups whatsoever. One thing goes wrong... And time runs out on him. Uh, undefeated season over. Playoff hopes probably dashed in all likelihood. Uh, hats off to Sonny Dykes, man. What a year TCU has had. TCU wins in an absolute banger over Baylor. 29-28. to They remain undefeated heading into rivalry week where... You know what? Honestly, I'm not even sure who they face off against. Let me, let me see if they even have a game. I would assume they do, but... I just just don't know. I don't know for the life of me who they would be facing, quite frankly. Quite frankly, I do have no idea. Oh, they're facing Iowa State. Natural rivalry. Iowa State versus Texas. Who who would have thought? Uh, Either way, not the biggest game in the world this week, but pretty much a a similar level. They're they're playing uh, against uh, Iowa State at home this week at the very least, so there is that. But one more game, get to the Big 12 title game. Uh, Still undefeated, though, after surviving once again. Uh, biggest performers in this one, uh, never pulled up the game because I'm just a, I'm just a trash podcaster from time to time, folks, but, uh, who else would it be? It is, well, I was going to say Quentin Johnston, but saw the wrong name at there at the top. Uh, let's go with, uh, I mean, Max Duggan had himself a hell of a day, right? I mean, 327, 9.3 yards per attempt, two total touchdowns, 6.3 yards per carry, uh, 300, just short of 380 total yards accounted for. Hell of a day, quite frankly. I mean, it wasn't an awesome day. Didn't didn't quite pull away, but he he doesn't play defense. That's not necessarily his problem. Uh also really not a whole lot of uh I mean, Kendra Miller was out there. He was he was doing his thing. Didn't have a great performance, but still had a, a touchdown on the day. Uh Tay Barber led the way for the receivers, not Quentin Johnston who's probably a top 10 pick if you didn't already know. He is a monster wide receiver. Um Tay Barber led the way on this day, though. He had 108 yards on five receptions, uh, long of 77. Somehow didn't get a touchdown off that 77-yarder, which got to be brutal if you're Tay Barber, quite frankly. Got to be brutal. Um, outside of that, though, 
I mean, not really, not really any big defensive performances, quite frankly. Um, only one sack between the teams, and it was TCU, and they, they split it between two guys. So not really a whole lot going on the defensive side of the ball. But hey, let me let me tell you what, man. Uh, Blake Shapin, pretty average day through the air. Uh, Craig Williams, that was the that was the star for uh, Baylor in this one. He had 112 yards uh, on the ground, 5.9 yards per carry. Couldn't get a touchdown, but had the had the biggest performance as far as yardage was concerned. Not yardage, uh, rushing yardage was concerned for the Baylor offense. Uh, Monterey Baldwin had another big performance. He's been having a bunch of those this season, last season. You name it, he's been having a good performance. Uh, six receptions, 123 yards, over 20 yards per catch on the day. Uh, didn't get a touchdown, but was explosive, provided some explosive plays. Got them right to the doorstep in the very end, but it was not to be. Uh, with that said, though, my biggest takeaway, not a hot take, but after seeing that final sequence, it is a correct one here. Sonny Dykes should be coach of the year, plain and simple. You don't get college kids to make a maneuver like that. I mean, I cannot stress enough. I'm sure it's happened multiple times before. and I'm just losing my mind um, just unwarrantedly. But to get the entire field goal unit on there set up, to get the, the kicker to take his steps and to snap the ball, kick the field goal in like 15 seconds, basically, that is insane. And it speaks so much to how well this team is coached. And you look at how this team has won again and again and again throughout this season, and it just reeks of great coaching. I mean, maybe reeks isn't the right word, but it just has great coaching. The fingerprints are all over all of these matchups. I mean, you look at last week. They didn't hardly score versus Texas, but still were able to get a win. This week, they almost lose versus Baylor, but have to have some some clutch maneuvers down the stretch to, to just eke it out barely. They outlast Texas Tech the week before that. I mean, they, they outlast uh, Kansas State. They, they just barely beat Oklahoma State earlier in the year, back when Oklahoma State was playing like, you know, we expect Oklahoma State to. They got through the meat of their schedule four straight ranked matchups at one point, winning all of them, averaging like 40 points a game in that stretch too. I mean, this is just a spectacular... And this this TCU team wasn't really that good last year. I think they were okay, but there's a reason that Gary Patterson got fired after last season. And it's simply because the team wasn't good. And then Sonny Dykes comes in overnight, gets Max Duggan playing near Heisman level contention, uh, gets Quentin Johnston just, I mean, being Quentin Johnston, he's always been been basically uh, a freak of nature out there. But getting those pieces in place, having the defense play well, I mean, it's it's all credit to Sonny Dykes. It's all credit to the staff he's put together, the offense he's run, the philosophy he's brought in there, the, the, the culture change that he's brought there. It's just massive. It's made expectations completely out of whack for, for, for coaches going forward as far as a, a turnaround expectation. But because of that, that, that warping sort of performance that he, he's had over this, this season, you got to give him the coach of the year, quite frankly. I don't know who else you give it to outside of Sonny Dykes. Give that man the coach of the year. Maybe you give it to Josh Heupel, but but he deserves it. Uh, Sonny Dykes does for the what he has done with TCU. Um, right there. How about that? A, a quick um, slate of, of 
meaningful games, I suppose. Meaningful isn't the right word, but most notable games, that was all I had, all just those three. Uh, so let's go quickly through some some quick hits here of the most notable games that I didn't get to in, in either the uh, the Heisman Roundup or the, uh, the notable games there. First off, Navy versus, versus number 20 UCF. And Navy got the upset here in this one, 17 to 14. Another big time weekend of upsets here. And this was just the first of them. So keep, stay strapped in, folks. We got some surprises down the stretch here. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn is good for at least one game a year like this, where he runs into an inferior team, inferior talent, top to bottom, that just doesn't take the eye candy that Gus Malzahn gives you with all the jet sweeps and stuff and just shuts down that offense. It's really, it's simple. It's a lot of like what. The service academies try to do it to you. They just try to make you lure you in with the eye candy and then gash you behind it when you when you make a mistake in there. It's kind of what ultimately did him in at Auburn, quite frankly, among among other things. It wasn't the only thing that did him in at Auburn, but the fact that he could one game just blow out a, a good SEC team and then the next one be on the ropes versus Arkansas Pine Bluff. I mean, it, it gets a little old after a while at a at a, at a job like Auburn. But I think it certainly fits at a, at a job like he's got right now at UCF. That doesn't change my analysis of him going into the future in the Big 12, quite frankly. I think he's going to be there for a while still. If anything, I think the fact that he just lays an egg every once in a while is going to spook away a lot of schools that he would jump ship for uh, outside of UCF. So this should even further entrench Gus Malzahn in Orlando, Florida at UCF. I still think he's going to be there for the next four to five years. And I think he's going to build that into a perpetually ranked program. I Mark my words right now, UCF is going to be ranked every single season that Gus Malzahn is there. Mark my words, he's going to get... I mean, if he has to go into the transfer portal and get some cast-off mobile QB from some Power 5 school, so be it. He's going to be in the Power 5 here in next year, actually. So, not not a big issue at all. Quite frankly, I hope Gus Malzahn never leaves because this job is just perfect for him, quite frankly. Shout out to Navy, though. They came out and did what you have to do to beat Malzahn on offense, Gus Malzahn offense, excuse me, just incredible discipline, which you love to see from future officers in our naval forces. Almost got the wrong branch there. That would have been awkward. But uh, either way, shout out to the Navy boys over there. Uh, Best performances, both of them coming from Navy, because why not? Really, there was only one best performances. I just want to point out off the bat, uh, Navy quarterback Xavier Arline had a singular passing attempt in this game. One, went 0 for 1, didn't attempt a single other pass. They saw that one pass and was like, you know what? We're going to stick with the run. They ran the ball 63 times, passed it once. So we're, we're going pretty par for the course for a service academy game here. Uh, the real star of the game, though, was Navy linebacker John Marshall. He had four sacks in this game, now has 10 and a half on the year. He's tied for third in all of FBS right now. And I'm not sure what his athletic measurables are outside of the fact that he's he's very undersized, quite frankly, for a pass rusher. 209 pounds, basically like cornerback size, quite frankly. He's 6'2", so got a frame to work with, but 209 pounds, you're going to have to put on weight. But he's been pass rushing his ass off down the stretch this year. He is playing out of his mind against some objectively good competition. He's got seven and a half sacks in his last four games. Uh, against the uh, last two, particularly against a couple ranked uh, ranked opponents. And I mean, I'll tell you what, seven and a half sacks in four games, one in each of those games. I know he wants to serve the nation and I, I love him for it. I got to appreciate his willingness to do so. But 
maybe seek a deferment for a bit and, you know, see where this football thing goes. I know they'll probably give it to you uh, unless a war breaks out over there in Eastern Europe, but that's not for me to call. Like, like I said before, he's, he's undersized, so, or undersized rather, excuse me, so he'd have to put on some weight. But if he shows up at, to his pro day or at the combine, if he gets invited there and balls out on the athletic measurements uh, category, like he gets a good vertical, runs a good 40, gets good quickness, uh, good quickness me- measurements, runs a good three-cone drill, if you will, some team is definitely going to take a late-round flyer on him. Obviously, he is a project sort of guy. Probably more of, of someone you're going to play on special teams initially than like having defensive snaps. But, I mean, if nothing else... You gotta be basically like an abnormally, like ridiculously smart and well-rounded human being just to get into a service academy like Navy. I mean, if nothing else, he's gonna be a good locker room guy. So why not take a flyer on a guy like this late in the draft? I think teams would love, love, love to have a good uh, possible glue guy in their locker room like John Marshall in there. Just something to keep in mind. Just something to keep in mind. You all, you can always go back and serve if either, um, like I said, America goes to war, you're probably going to get called up to serve either way, whether you want to or not. But I would assume, being that you went to the Naval Academy in the first place, you're, you're going to want to go serve your country if if that does indeed come to pass. Uh, that being said, or the football career doesn't work out, you can always go back and serve if if those th- those things come to pass. But you might as well try to follow your dream first, right? I mean, there, there's no harm in going out there and going for it. I absolutely, I'm interested to see what John Marshall does uh, coming out of college. This could be a really fun story that probably under the radar for most people right now, but I will be just keeping, keeping a little eye on it out, out of the corner of my eye, maybe, maybe under the radar, but a guy that I'm rooting for to have success at the next level, quite frankly. Uh, moving on down the list though, let's move over to the big 12. We got Oklahoma state versus Oklahoma. Uh, like I said in the preview last week, probably the saddest chapter in recent memory of this rivalry, but you know what? They had to play the game and someone had to win, and uh, OK State just melted down in a way that only Kentucky uh, can empathize with this season. Uh, after how they started the season, I knew their offense wasn't great, but never in my wildest worst-case scenarios that I think it would get as bad as it has gotten over there. I mean, Spencer Sanders looks like he's never thrown a football before. They can't run the ball to save their lives. The defense has given up just point after point after point. They failed to reach 20 points. Hell, they failed to reach 15 points versus arguably the worst defense in the entire Big 12 as Oklahoma got the win 28-13. to And hell, wasn't even as close as, as it seemed in the final score. Oklahoma was up 28 to nothing at the end of the first, and they just hit the cruise control from there. Like, this was a bad, bad game. What a meltdown down the stretch from OK State. And, I mean, I gotta imagine Mike Gundy's probably safe just because of all of the... All of, all of the, the history he's had there at Oklahoma State and just the, the sweet-ass mullet that he brings to the table, quite frankly, has gravity around it. You can't deny it. Um, you got to wonder what his job status is going forward, though. Does he uh, does he go out and get a, an offensive coordinator or do they just say, hey, screw it, just get a new get a new quarterback in there? I think Spencer Sanders is a senior this year, so they can't just, just quietly usher him out the door and get somebody that might be a little bit better at passing in there. Either way, just a terrible, terrible home stretch for Oklahoma State. It all just kind of started going wrong after that TCU game. Um, That being said, best performance on the day, Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel. He had three total touchdowns, obviously all of them coming in the first quarter because they didn't score again after the first quarter. Uh, Only one interception to boot. 
Wasn't efficient, to say the least. He had just 20 of 40 straight-up 50% completion percentage, but he didn't need to be with the meltdown happening across the field from him, quite frankly. He just needed to not shoot the team in the foot and score a couple touchdowns along the way, and that is precisely what he did, and they won by two touchdowns because of it. Uh, with that said, though, let's go from one Sarah, Sarah McLaughlin special to another one Uh a little farther down south and east, I might say. Miami versus Clemson. Uh, Clemson kicked the holy piss out of Miami, 40-10. to 10, And the score probably wasn't even indicative of just how much of a beatdown this was. I mean, Clemson absolutely ran Miami out of the building in this one. I mean, 40-10, 30 points does not even begin to, to tell you just how dominant this win was. I mean, let's just go down the the overview stats. Miami had 98 yards to Clemson's 447. That's, if you're doing the quick math at home, Clemson had more than four times the yards that Miami had in this one. Uh, Clemson won the turnover battle 3-2. Not the the biggest number in the world, but still matters. Uh, Clemson beat beat Miami in time of possession 38-22. Miami got six first downs to Clemson's 27 first downs on the day. This was... A beat down. I mean, Miami didn't even really score a touchdown until the start of the fourth quarter when they were already down by three, four touchdowns at that point. The game was over in hand, done, stick a fork in it. It is done to say the least. But man, it was just Miami is in a tough spot right now. They're they're having a, a bit of a bit of a moment. I mean, Miami looks just Terrible. No, no other way about it. They're going to ha- probably have to make some coaching changes in the offseason because he expected a bad season, but I don't know if he expected it to be this bad. I would expect Mario Cristobal to be having this team looking better next season. It's, there's a lot of work to do, but this season is just, it's a lost cause, especially without Tyler Van Dyke in there. It's just, it is what it is at this point. Uh, best performance was DJ Uyunglele. He had three touchdowns, one, inter- one interception, one fumble. I mean, wasn't particularly efficient either. I mean, Clemson doesn't really do offense, quite frankly. It's just this was just this was just a beatdown. No, no two ways about it. It was a beatdown from start to finish, and that's really all you have to say about that one. Uh, still a beatdown, but less of a beatdown. Uh, Ole Miss versus Arkansas. Uh, travel into a hostile environment in Arkansas. Knew it could have been a problem for uh, Ole Miss, but. Uh, <laughs> Boy, how a couple weeks can change things, huh? I mean, things are getting a little bit uh, things are getting a little bit hot over there in Oxford, aren't they? Ole Miss somehow got over 700 yards of total offense uh, with two 200 plus yard rushers, over 400 yards on the ground in this one. Yet they still got beat by two plus touchdowns, 42 to 27 by Arkansas in this one. That defense that Ole Miss has is bad. I'll tell you what, they let K.J. Jefferson be his usual efficient self, only five incompletions on the day, didn't light you up in the air, but didn't need to, and they let Raheem Sanders go absolutely insane on the ground. I mean, this was just, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a beatdown on the scoreboard, but in practice, this was a beatdown by Arkansas on Saturday versus Ole Miss. I mean, where where are the answers coming from for, for Ole Miss right now? Certainly not coming from the head coach. I mean, now Lane Kiffin is rumored to be accepting the Auburn job by the end of the day on Friday. We'll see if that's accurate or not. Seems like it's coming from good sources. 
He's likely taking Quinshawn Judkins with him wherever he goes. And before any of that, they've got the Egg Bowl just sitting there. Just sitting there while Lane Kiffin has his look ahead to the new job coming uh, after that. I mean, Mississippi State may have a rough, may have had, had a rough last couple months. Couple months, well, couple weeks or so with John Cohen leaving and uh, just taking, ripping our soul out. Uh, Mississippi State's sort of hopes down the season, squandering away, if you will. Ole Miss is is in for a rude, rude awakening over there in Oxford, uh, coming up over the next couple weeks or so. Man, it is about to get depressing to say the least over there in in that that northern school in Mississippi and but y'all are going to find out you don't have to you don't have to wait for me to to tell you about it. y'all y'all going to find out there firsthand in just a couple weeks uh looking forward to this Thanksgiving matchup in the Egg Bowl it is filled with hate and it is fun for the whole family folks but more on that in just a second Best performer in this one, alluded to him there just briefly, but wasn't K.J. Jefferson, though he did have three touchdowns, no turnovers on the day, credit to him there. But Raheem Sanders was the straw that stirred the drink for this Arkansas offense. He had 232 yards on the ground, 9.7 yards per carry, three touchdowns, also had five catches for 29 yards through the air as well. So 260-plus total yards uh, from scrimmage in this one, just a dominant force that Ole Miss had no answers for all day in this one. And hey, like I said, Egg Bowl is coming up. Arkansas finishing the season strong, still 6-5, and five, but man, this was just art. Art for a Mississippi State fan to watch, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, staying in the SEC, though, going over to the SEC East, though, we had number one, uh, University of Georgia taking on Kentucky. It wasn't pretty, but Georgia got the, the job done 16-6 to behind a strong day from that running game. Uh, second straight road game after going into a hostile environment in Starkville last week. It's not exactly a letdown spot per se, but I can understand why Georgia came out flat in this one, having two straight road games, especially facing one of the better defenses in the SEC, quite frankly, and they get the best punch from everyone they face. I think Mississippi State played some solid football from time to time against them, and they had a hostile uh, stadium, as always, there in Starkville. I mean, that's probably emotionally draining to a certain extent. I mean, UGA is pretty much the only lock in the college football playoff at this point. Like Again, call a spade a spade, phrase the day, I suppose. Uh, so the goal was just to get out of this one with a win and get back home to face Georgia Tech next week, where again, you just want to get out of there with a win. The method of victory was not important. Securing the victory itself was the sole goal here. That's what Georgia did. They escaped with a 16-16 or 16-6 win, rather. Uh, that's pretty much all you can ask for from, from Georgia in this one. They're still going to stay right atop the, uh, the rankings there at number one going into the SEC title game. Uh, best performance in this one, talked about that running game. Specifically, Kenny McIntosh had the uh, had the, the performance of the day in that rushing attack for UGA. He had 143 yards on the ground, 7.5 yards per carry, and one touchdown behind that traditionally stout UGA offensive line. Uh, really, just a ho-hum performance from UGA. They just get another win. All they got to do is win out. Hell, even if they... Even if they lose in the SEC title game, they're still going to make the playoff. They just got to beat Georgia Tech next week, and they are—they punch their ticket. They are in at this point. Uh, moving over from the SEC over to the ACC, we got number 20, 24, NC State traveling to another place in Kentucky, taking on Louisville this time. Uh, we had 
quite a game here, folks. Not from uh, NC State's perspective, but certainly from Louisville. They extended NC State's long-running offensive nightmare with another dominant performance at home, beating that Wolfpack down with ease, 25-10. to 10. Uh, I would call PETA on you. I would call uh, Animal Services or, or Animal Protective Service. I don't know what the, the service is, but I think it was legal on the football field, so I'll let it pass this time. I would say cue the Sarah McLaughlin, but I feel like the arms of an angel uh, has been just on loop as the background soundtrack for NC State for about a year at this point. So that's just kind of, it, it is what it is at this point. That That is who NC State is on offense. It is just sad constantly. Like the fact that they are still ranked is a testament to that defense dragging the lifeless husk of an offense on the other side of the ball to wins all season long. Uh, they're going to have to, uh, they, they couldn't do it this time. They gave up 25 to Louisville against the backup quarterback, no less. Malik Cunningham was out for some reason. He always seems to be out for something. Uh, they weren't good with Devin Leary and they certainly haven't gotten any more explosive with MJ Morris or Ben Finley, who was the, taking the, the reps in this one. Uh, Louisville, meanwhile, just takes care of business once again. They they won't get a whole lot of credit from uh, the ranking committee or the AP for that matter, but they'll, they've will they played very, very well down the stretch. They have impressed me uh, specifically from a betting perspective, but I haven't really put any money on them. I'm just, I'm just impressed overall with the way that they've been able to put together solid performances down the stretch here. Uh, but best performances on the day... Uh, Bunch of fun names, quite frankly. Uh, running back Jawar Jordan, first off, for uh, for Louisville, victorious Cardinals here. Uh, 105 yards on the ground, 6.6 yards per carry, and one touchdown. And the funnest name of them all, linebacker Yasir Abdullah. What a name there, Yasir Abdullah. I love that one. Uh, he had two and a half sacks on the day to help stymie that NC State offense. Doesn't take much, but if you're getting two and a half sacks, you are certainly leading the effort there, if nothing else. And uh, with that, though... How about that? We're getting done with all of the games here early and only an hour into the podcast. Hell, we might get this thing done in an hour and a half right now. And you know what? College football playoff rankings have not come out yet, but you know what? Just pretend that they came out and we are all shocked as a result. I would imagine that USC, maybe at five right now, I would say still, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give you the number numbers one through five right now. Ready? And I don't even have to look at the college football playoff rankings to tell this. At number one, we've got num- we got UGA. No change there. No surprise there. At number two, we've got Ohio State still. No change. No surprise. Number three, we got Michigan State. No change. No surprise. And number four, we've got TCU. No change. No surprise. If you win all your games, you're going to stay put, quite frankly, at this point in the season. Uh, USC is the big, uh, big mover here. I think they move up to number five in the playoff rankings uh, coming up. If anything, the, the shocker would be if USC jumps TCU for that, that number three spot uh, or that number four spot, quite frankly, I guess. Um, but I don't I don't see that happening with TCU escaping it with a win. Uh, I don't think I don't think USC looked that much more impressive in their win. They still ended up just barely squeaking out a win against UCLA, even if it was a better performance uh, or a better opponent rather. They, they still ended up giving up 45 points to him. So, I mean, that's not something that you can just kind of kind of wipe away. Uh, probably going to end up being number five, but that's all without looking at the rankings because I'm recording this at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, so they're not out yet. But that being said, with that, let's get into some rivalry week big matchups, shall we? And I'm not going to hit all the games because they're, I mean, it's called rivalry week for a reason, man. Everyone's got a rivalry going into this one, but I am going to hit, well, one bias pick and uh, really just the, the best games outside of that, outside of my bias pick. But let's let's get the bias out of the way first off. I talked about the Egg Bowl 
on Tuesday in relation to my my gambling pick on it. Uh, so I'll, I'll keep this one brief. This one is truly just a hate-filled good time for the whole family most years, man. And I cannot recommend watching this one enough. If you just like, if you just want to like watch a football game and wonder when the fight is going to happen, I mean that's. I mean, that, that, that's kind of the essence of what we're getting here in the Egg Bowl. There always seems to be like, if there's not an all-out brawl between the teams, there's all they're like just on the edge basically the entire game for, for getting in a, in a full-on brawl. A couple of years ago, they actually got in a full-on brawl. I mean, players getting ejected. I mean, just hundreds of players just going out in the field and, and getting in a big old fight. I mean, that was just, again... Good, good, hate-filled, fun time for the whole family right there. I mean, I cannot recommend watching enough. It's just, it's just good. I wouldn't say clean, but it's good football right there, man. I'll tell you what. This is Mississippi State Super Bowl, though. Get, make no mistake about it. I don't know how Ole Miss feels about this one, but I care way, 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 way more about this game than any bowl uh, that we get into right, right now, frankly. I mean, I don't give half a damn who we play in the pity bowl. We could play Louisville again and lose. It would suck, and I would hate it. But quite frankly, I would hate it more if we don't come out here and give Ole Miss the hands, quite frankly. I just humbly ask, just a small favor, just a small favor from like Mike Leach and the boys. I just ask that we take one more rancid asparagus piss in Lane, Lane Kiffin's Cheerios on the way out the door. Is that too much to ask? Is that I just humbly ask as a Mississippi State fan that we just take a, a rancid, just smelly piss in Lane Kiffin's Cheerios on the way out the door. That's... That would make, I mean, it's been a rough season. I had a, a lot higher expectations coming in, but I will tell you what, man, if we can piss in Lane Kiffin's Cheerios and then just watch Ole Miss's program just crumble around them throughout this offseason, that's that's all I can ask for at this point in the season, man. I mean, bowl game be damned. Just go out there and beat Ole Miss right now. That's my feelings in the game. Bias mode off now. Let's get into like some like the actual best games of the day, I would say. That one was on Thanksgiving. The rest are on all on Saturday, from what I understand. I probably should have checked out the specific days, but eh, who cares? It, it's all good. You'll figure it out if you want to watch it either way. Uh, first off, we've got the game, Michigan versus Ohio State. Need I say more? It's probably going to be the two versus three matchup. Uh, it was an enormous game last year, and it somehow got even more high stakes this season. I mean, it was win or go home last year, and that's pretty much what happened with Michigan going to the playoff and Ohio State staying home for the season there. Uh, well, not staying home, but going to a different bowl game against someone that they didn't really care about quite so much. Uh, same sort of scenario here as it was last season. The loser in this game will have one loss, but no conference championship under their belt. No matter who wins this matchup, the line will probably be like minus 20 or more, like, I, like I've said time and again, in that Big Ten title game versus Iowa, Purdue, Illinois, whoever the hell it happens to be. So this is probably the de facto Big Ten title game, if, if you had to say so. I mean, if you think about it last year, I think Michigan beat Iowa by like 40 in the title game. So that's that's kind of what you're going to expect from the actual title game. This is... This is the big one for the conference this year. This is gonna this is gonna tell the tale of who's gonna end up winning the title when it's all said and done. Not necessarily overall, but in this conference. The loser here will still get a good bowl game, but this is a win or go home situation in relation to a playoff berth. Berth, make no mistake about it. You gotta have it. And the Heisman implications as well. CJ Stroud and Blake Corum both need to have monster games and probably need a win in this one in order to play in that that uh that championship week matchup in order to get one last uh 
look from from the scouts, not the scouts, from the from the voters going into uh, the the Heisman voting, those last little Heisman votes. There's so much riding on this game. The fact that it's at noon, once again, I cannot bitch about it enough. This needs to be a night game so that everyone can everyone can watch it, no matter your your shape, size, or color. Uh, you, you can just go on and watch this without skipping work, but I digress on that front. It's going to be an awesome, awesome matchup, and I cannot wait to watch every single second of it with my ass plastered with industrial-grade plaster straight to the chair in my living room. Uh, that being said, let's move on to a different rivalry game all the way across to the West Coast. We're talking about Oregon versus Oregon State. It is the Civil War, baby. And yeah, I know someone somewhere at some time decided to stop calling it that. How about you uh, give me a giant helping of uh, don't give a quarter fuck on my Thanksgiving plate about that, though. Uh, it's an absolute name. Uh, or, or it's an awesome name, rather. I mean, it's, obviously, it's an absolute name. I don't know what else it would be. Uh, but it's an awesome name. And on the spectrum of, like, Chief Wahoo to Ole Miss being literally the Rebels and having, like, stars and bars flying in the stands up until, like, the, the mid-2000s, pretty much, I feel like this one doesn't even clock in, quite frankly. Like, this is, this is a big old nothing. Oregon being, like, over-the-top woke, as is the hallowed tradition. That, that seems like the... Uh, Seems like the, the the vibe I'm getting from this one, quite frankly. So I'm going to still call it the Civil War, and uh, y'all can cry about it, and uh, just don't care. Just quite frankly, don't care. All that dumb BS aside, though, this is going to be a damn good football game. I don't really have a pick for this one, but Oregon State uh, being a, a three-point dog at home is a tempting little, little morsel. Tempty, tempting little uh, tasty morsel there. I'm not taking it, but I, you know what? Some of you guys can take it out there. I think I'm just going to like not watch this one and... Uh, or not not bet the game and watch it other way around. Uh, either way, this one should be an awesome classic matchup in in the rivalry. Uh, again, no official pick here, but if I had to give you a lean, I it would be Oregon State. Maybe not in the money line, but to cover it and keep it very very close in this one. This would come right down to the end. Uh, could end up being a similar type of game to what we saw last week between Oregon and Utah, especially if Bo Nix isn't moving well once again. Uh, he he's limited out there. Might end up having. Uh, a, a down performance like we saw last week, leaving it, leaving Oregon State a little bit bit, bit of room. If Bo Nix has a performance like he had last week, where he just simply can't get anything going, and Bucky Irving isn't doing anything either, uh, like he didn't do last week, I Oregon State is going to beat Oregon in this one. That's just playing out. They need both of those guys to be on their shit in this one if they're going to end up winning this one. I think it's low scoring though. I think it's physical. I think every possession will matter down the stretch of this one. Many of you casuals be watching the Iron Bowl. I will be watching this one instead. But hey, speaking of the devil, uh, let's talk about that Iron Bowl, shall we? Auburn unranked traveling to uh, Alabama, who I assume they moved up just by just by the principle of attrition over the past week or so. Um, a true throw the records out the window matchup. It is every year, but it certainly is this year with the situation dynamics at play here. Bama has an outside shot at the playoff, but I mean, it's it's mostly just bull placement at this point. They're 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 playing for here. Uh, they're going to need like maybe the most chaotic weekend in college football history to get into the playoff. Quite frankly, because they're not they're not going to the SEC title game. LSU's already got that locked up. Uh, Alabama, not that great of a team, and they got a bunch of teams with better resumes in front of them. So probably not playing for a playoff spot anymore. Uh, just bowl placement. Auburn needs this win to be officially bowl eligible, quite frankly. They could get to a bowl at five and seven, but you, you got to get six to guarantee it. Plus, if reports are accurate, 
Lane Kiffin might already may, might already be announced as the next head coach by kickoff by by the time the kickoff happens on Saturday. If the if the Friday reports are accurate and he steps down after the uh, the Ole Miss uh, Mississippi State game and just goes to Auburn the very next day, I mean Cadillac Williams has got nothing to lose except one more extra month coaching up the boys as the interim head coach. And honestly, I mean this is one of those things where again statistics cannot tell you the emotional weight on this game right now for Cadillac Williams, for those players. I think the whole Auburn team is going to go into this one playing for Cadillac Williams and for what this rivalry means to the South. I mean, you don't need to get more hyped up in the Iron Bowl matchup if you're on either of these teams. You know what this game means. You know how crucial and pivotal this one is, no matter what the records are, just for bragging rights throughout the year. I mean, as much as it's, it's every bit as much of a, a heated rivalry as the Egg Bowl from, from year to year. And to add the Cadillac Williams stuff on top of that, I think the, the guys love him in that locker room. I think they know how iconic he is for that program as a whole. And I think they just love the way that he talks to the team, the way he relates to them. I wouldn't be shocked if Auburn's best game of the year happens in this one against Alabama on the road. I have no idea if it'll be enough to get them the win. But this one is just shaping up to be a good Iron Bowl in my mind. A lot closer than Vegas thinks. And I just looked and noticed that Bama's favored by 22 points. So yeah, I'll, I'll step in front of uh, of the freight train on that one and bet Cadillac. Bet on Cadillac's last ride here. Uh, and that's a fi- that's an official pick right there. I think that's the only official pick that I have in college this this week. It's not the only one that I'm betting, but it's the only one that I have I feel comfortable putting out to the masses here. I think Auburn is going to keep it closer than three touchdowns. It's gonna be I I don't know I don't know how they're gonna do it. I don't know why they're gonna do it necessarily. I think it's gonna kinda be dictated by how the game goes, but Auburn they may not have the the talents or the quarterback play or hell the defense that Alabama has right now but they just want this more than Alabama has, does right now. I think that's going to pay dividends for them. I think this is going to be a close game down the stretch. If not, certainly within three touchdowns. So I love, love, love Auburn at plus 22 in this one. Uh, moving on to a different one. Don't have a fancy name for this one, but big time matchup for uh, playoff implications. Maybe not for Notre Dame, but certainly for USC. Those are the two that are playing in this game. Uh, massively, massively important game for both USC's playoff hopes and Caleb Williams' Heisman aspirations going forward here. Basically, it's a win and you're in for USC right now. I mean, you just look at what's in front of them. They win out and capture a Big 12 title. There's not a doubt in my mind they get uh, a not over a one-loss loser of either OSU or Michigan. Take your pick. If, if USC wins out, they're beating out either of those teams, especially considering, like I said before, both of those final two games are going to be top 15 opponents uh, unless something crazy happens in this next week. Notre Dame has got a tough, tough defense, which will be a high-quality opponent for Williams to make uh, a Heisman statement against. Uh, also, prime spot for him to have a down game, but that's just kind of... That's kind of the, the 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 deal that you make here. You, you got a big time competition that has the potential to go either really well or really badly. I mean, it's it's for you to figure out there, Caleb. Uh, but it's that defense that's going to make this a tough game for USC. Even at home, USC has had problems at various points uh, with quality defenses. So this could be a, a low scoring contest. You think about what it was against Oregon State earlier in the year. Uh, I think it was like 17-14 the final on that one. This one might be something similar, but I do think they end up getting a little bit more scoring going 
between USC and Notre Dame. And this one should be a fun one, though. Close one till the very end, I think. And, uh, hey, USC has problems at, at various points with defenses uh, in low-scoring contests. But if Notre Dame wants to win, I think they're going to – they really hope that this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think it's what they're going to get quite frankly, but I still got USC winning this one. I think USC ends up going to the playoff and winning out in this one, quite frankly. Um, also, up next, we got in-state rivalry, to say the least, UNC versus NC State. Flip those around. UNC is hosting NC State, rather. Um, I'll keep this one brief because I don't think this is going to be a, a great matchup, quite frankly. Uh, NC State's offense is not worth half a fuck. But that defense is still no joke. It's been no joke for a couple years now. I'm assuming there's got to be some through line there as far as like a core of players or like a player or two in there that were on the same on, on the defense last year and this year. Someone's going to the NFL out of that group because they have just been too good for too long to not have some sort of NFL talent in there. Someone, someone is playing out of their mind in there. And I just don't know who it is because I don't watch NC State enough, quite frankly. Um, I expect this one to be low scoring though. Uh, close contest to say the least. And if it's not low scoring, I expect UNC to just beat them down quite frankly, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to be watching this one. There are better games to choose from, from quite frankly, but there you have it. Those are the, those are the best games on the schedule. Looking forward to, I mean, everything we're going to see on Saturday. Rivalry week is just a treat from top to bottom. A lot of un- unexpected happening just because again, you throw the record out the window and I'm not probably betting any of the spreads outside of that Auburn one this week. I'm just watching and having a good time doing it. I, I totally implore you all to, to do the same. Easy for me to say, quite frankly. Um, but I am now rambling on. So for once in a reasonable amount of time, let's get to the pick pentathlon, shall we? I mean, we're, we're about to have an hour and a half long episode. How about that? This is the Pick Pentathlon. And first off, let's go uh, look retrospectively back at the week that was. We two and three record last week. Uh, the streak is over. Had five straight winning weeks. It was just, you know what? It wasn't meant to be. Uh, the hot streak is technically over. It broke here momentarily and couldn't get over that Mendoza line. I knew when I was talking it up. And being all excited about it, that it just wasn't going to happen, man. But man, at least it was only one game under 500, right? It was two and three on the week, 22 and 23 overall. So you know what? Stepping right back in the batter's box. The second I, the, the second you get cocky, you've lost. And should have seen this coming. Uh, should have known this was going to happen. Oh well, though. Got a, a billion picks coming up this week, so opportunity to get right in a big way coming right up. It's there. So let's go do it, huh? First off. Let's get right into this thing. First off, got my favorite Seahawks minus three versus um, who are they playing? The Raiders at home hosting a bad team, only favored by three and a half. Hmm. Uh, seems Vegas still hasn't learned their lesson. So let's keep riding with the Seahawks, shall we? I don't even really expect this one to end up being particularly close. I think the Seahawks defense matches up well with the Raiders, and I don't think the Ra- the the offense can move at will. Or I do think the offense can move at will, excuse me, on this Raiders defense. Now, I will I will obviously throw in the caveat because I can already hear some of you out there screaming at your at your your 
respective devices that, I mean, the Seahawks defense doesn't necessarily do great against the run. And sure, maybe they're going to give up a bunch of yards to Josh Jacobs, but so did the Broncos last week and they gave up 16 points in regulation. So give up all the rushing yards you want. If you, you keep them out of the end zone, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, does it? I like like the Seahawks at minus three and a half here. Give me the Seahawks and watch me sleep like I just popped a zanny tonight, all right? Uh, up next, we got the underdog. I'm taking the Titans at plus one and a half at home versus the Stripey Boys, the Bengals. Uh, Vrabel at home getting points? You must be high if you think I'm not taking this game in this one. I am taking the Titans absolutely. Somehow, some way. I feel like the Titans are going to take this one. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know what's going to end up being the straw that, that breaks the camel's back, but just Vrabel's game plan, Derrick Henry taking the game over, whatever it is, something will separate the Titans from the Bengals in this one in my mind. I just, I feel it's going to happen. Vrabel just wins these games. You give him points at home and he just takes that as disrespect. It's an insult to him. And I love the Titans in this one. Just look, Look for Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry to be repping for Mississippi State in the Big Egg Bowl week uh, and also causing havoc on that line of scrimmage in this game. I feel like they're going to get just enough, stone that that run game, do just enough in the passing game, force a turnover or two here and there to just eke one out in the end. I love the Titans here at plus one and a half. Uh, For my over... Why not ride with the hot hand, shall we? Bears versus Jets, and the Jets have a fantastic defense, so this is a low, low number. We got 39 and a half, but when the Bears are on the field, that is just not enough points. I mean, I sound like a broken record at this point. Uh, The Bears on the over is just a must every single week until Vegas can consistently get this thing right. And I think this is like what? Uh, Three of four in a row or like four straight or something like that for the over for the Bears. You won't find me hopping off this thing until it stops being hot there, partner. Uh, Justin Fields may struggle passing on that defense, but I think he'll do enough uh, work with his legs to score some points, quite frankly. I think he'll get a couple rushing touchdowns, maybe just one rushing touchdown, but he'll facilitate other stuff to happen with that offense as well. And hey, Zach Wilson may be playing like utter dog shit and missing wide open layup questions from reporters and receivers for that matter, but... This Bears defense is trash, 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 trash enough to cure a lot of offensive woes. I think Zach Wilson has a bounce back performance in this one. He doesn't throw under 100, I'll tell you that much. I think he throws over 200, probably a couple touchdowns, and I don't think it's going to be pretty. Probably not going to be pretty, in fact, but I do expect this one to be in the 40s on the total. I think at least one of these teams is going to score 20 points. I think both of these teams ends up scoring 20 points in the end just based on the Bears defense, but again... I will ride with the Bears over until the wheels fall off. And uh, moving on to the under here, got the Ravens-Jags under 43 and a half. Uh, the hilarious answer here would be under 36 for the Broncos-Panthers, but I can't root for such a sad game at, a, at such a low number. I'll, I'll leave them to suck at football in the corner uh, in peace where no one has to look at them, quite frankly. And also, Sam Darnold show back in town. Uh, well, wrong one there. Uh, save that one for just a second. zippity zippity doo da 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 Easy for me to say, right? Uh, as it is, though, not a great deal of unders that I feel good about this week. So uh, a lot of low numbers. Uh, this was the one low number that I felt okay about. If you're going to put me in the corner, Trevor Lawrence stinks. Uh, let's just call a spade a spade at this point. And the Ravens defense is playing out of their minds right now. I don't think the Jags score more than 10 in this game. And I also think the Ravens offense is so perpetually bereft of receivers. 
that getting to the mid 20s is going to be a good day for him. So add that up. I think they're going to struggle to get into the 40s. So yes, this is a pretty low number in the grand scheme of things, but I also think these teams are going to, to struggle to score in this one. So I like the under here at 43 and a half. And bonus pick because I already have four picks on Thursday, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse with another Thursday pick in there. Uh, I am taking the Broncos at minus two and a half versus the Panthers. And I alluded to it on Tuesday, just just slipped up a little bit there now uh, with saying that Sam Darnold's going to be the starter in this one. But this is it. This is the last stand for Nathaniel Hackett. If you don't win this one, I mean, you cannot, cannot lose to the Panthers in this one. And if he does, Hackett's gone. No two ways about it. He absolutely knows it too. He has to win this game. He needs this win right now. Usually I'm not going to put my money on the Broncos, but I'll take a corner wounded animal in this spot because make no mistake about it, it will fight like hell and it will fight to the death. I expect exactly that to happen. That's why I'm taking the Broncos to cover. Minus two and a half. You need, need, need to win this one and win this one. Maybe not handily, but win this one by a touchdown and get a good performance. Otherwise, you're gone. Your, your, job's, your job is done. So with that though, let's summarize both the Thanksgiving picks plus the pick pentathlon picks. Uh, starting off on Thanksgiving, we got Lions plus nine and a half, uh, Giants plus eight and a half, and it's actually moved up to nine last I checked. If you were patient and waited on that one, got a little bit better number on there. So kudos to you. I got it at plus eight and a half. So that's the one I'm going with. Uh, Pats Vikings under 42 and a half. But once again, smart play is the, uh, is the Pats at plus two and a half there. Just, just put it out there. Lines already moved in the direction of the Pats, quite frankly. So you, you know that, that, that's how a lot of people are feeling. That's where the money is coming in. But I digress on that front. I'm taking the under at 42 and a half because I'm not rooting against my team. Also over 63 and a half in the egg bowl, uh, just because I don't know who, I don't have a good feel on who's going to end up uh, getting the win in that one, but I think they're going to score a hell of a lot of points in that one. So over 63 and a half in that one. And then to the pick pentathlon picks, we got Seahawks minus three and a half, Titans plus one and a half, Bears, Jets over 39 and a half, Ravens, Jags under 43 and a half, and rounding it out with that bonus pick, got the Broncos at minus two and a half. The cornered wounded animal will come out just guns a-blazing, fighting to the death. Giant slate, nine picks this week. Let's hope they're all winners, but at the very least, let's just fingers crossed that it's a winning week here, folks. Happy gambling. Uh, bet the beer money, not the rent money. And with that, how about that, ladies and gentlemen? That's all for this episode, and we did it in you know a reasonable amount of time. Let me, get, let me get a time check and just pat myself on the back here real quick. Just under, I mean, we just hit the hour 30 minute mark and I took a bathroom break in there too. So you know what? We're going to be clocking in at just under an hour and a half. What a, I mean, you hear that folks? That's me patting myself on the back right there. I did a good job here, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Caleb. Love you, Caleb. Uh, either way, that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy just a little bit. If you didn't enjoy it, take that opinion and shove it in your ass, but also take it to the grave and tell people it was good anyways because I'm trying to grow this thing and why were you stomping on the little boy's dreams, all right? Um, I release two episodes a week during the football season. NFL on Tuesdays, college football plus Monday night football recap on Thursdays. Any additions or changes, I will let you all know as they occur. Follow me on all my social media at Caleb Verzak, easy for me to say, just kind of couldn't get get it out there. Uh, link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email, shoot me an email, 
at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. I am slurring my words like I'm a drunk, drunk motherfucker right now, but I haven't drank a drop here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com, unqualifiedanalysis at gmail, gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. Uh, anyways, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about, but continuing the running series of fun facts about Qatar so that you could be a little bit more informed about a rising economic power out there. The ruling family of Qatar is the Al Thani family. Al Thani, A-L-T-H-A-N-I, or maybe there's not a dash in there. I'm sorry, either way. That is the ruling family of Qatar. Interestingly enough, they are pretty much the only Middle Eastern royal family that can't trace their lineage back to the Prophet Muhammad and don't have long standing as, as royalty. They haven't been there for hundreds of years. They just came to power in the mid-1800s, pretty much. I mean, they're a relatively new nation down there, younger than the United States. The Al-Thani family came to power by tactfully playing Bahrain and Saudi Arabia against each other in a conflict in the mid-1800s. Uh, meanwhile, behind their backs, they brokered a deal with the British to recognize Qatar as an independent nation and as a protectorate in 1868. And that's how Qatar came to be right there. That's how, and the Althanis, they, they founded the nation. They've been ruling the nation ever, ever since over the past, what, 150 years or so. I've just been passed down from uh, generation to generation, pretty much. The current ruler is Tamim bin Hamad Althani. That's a, that's a mouthful right there. Uh, who was handed power peacefully by his father, Hamad bin Khalifa Althani, uh, who he didn't do it quite so peacefully, but bloodless took the throne from his father, Khalifa, in a bloodless coup uh, while his father was on vacation in Europe in 1995. And also, if you ever go back and just look at the history of rulers in Qatar, just just don't go on holiday, folks. It's just not a good idea. Uh, your your son, your your brother, someone's going to steal power for you from you if you go out on holiday. And uh, that's just a, a lesson to learn there. Either way, Althani's ruling family of Qatar. Tune in next week for the next fun fact, I suppose. Uh, I will see y'all later, though. Fill your mouths and your stomachs with as, as much just good, good food as you can, folks. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>